Hello and welcome to the Deeply Rooted Podcast. We are here to root deep in God's Word so that we can live lives of unshakable faith. My name is Ben Jacobson. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Lutheran Church in Fargo, North Dakota. And I am joined today by my colleague, Pastor Stephen Dunkel. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good night. Welcome, Stephen. That's a great uh, sort of shocking reference to The Truman Show. Yes, The right? Truman Show is a mystery. I didn't quote it exactly. But good morning, and if I don't see you, yeah. good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Yes, poor Truman lives a life where he doesn't know that he's being filmed at all times, and then he's that his life is a TV show, right, if I'm remembering this correctly. Do you think this conversation is being filmed? Uh, I know for a fact that it's not. Well, I don't know for a fact. I'm pretty sure it's not being filmed. I'm pretty sure that it is being recorded. We would hope so. Yes. Uh, So we're going to cover a little bit of a mystery today. Not sure that we're going to solve it. I don't know. But we're going to uncover a mystery that's found in the Old Testament, in the prophet of Isaiah. Right? Uh, But before we do that, before we start solving mysteries, I'm going to ask you a question. It's almost Thanksgiving. What is your favorite food on the Thanksgiving table? So all of the Thanksgiving flavors complement so well together, but I needed something to cut it. Give Mm. that variety that tasted different than everything else on the plate. So I started cutting up pineapples, grilling them like steaks. Really? And then you have grilled pineapple with the Thanksgiving meal. You know, I think probably the star of the Thanksgiving meal, first of all, that I would say that's a wild card move, and it probably works well. But I think the star that actually maybe does the same thing cuts through all that. Because a lot of the food is heavy, right? Mm -hmm. Dressing, stuffing, whatever you call it in your house, turkey, mashed potatoes, grape. I think the cranberry sauce in the can that just comes out of the can and it like still looks like the can when you eat it probably doesn't do as great of a job as a grilled pineapple. But uh, for me, that's the binder. Oh, that's its purpose. Yeah, Yeah, to cut through with that little bit of sweet in the midst of all the savory. Yeah, it's an important... uh, Do you say pecan or pecan? Pecan pie. Okay, that's important. But I wouldn't fight you over it. (laughs) Yeah, there there are some things that are worth fighting over. That's probably not one of them. Or maybe it is for our listeners. So we're here. We're going to solve a mystery today. Um, and, well, we're going to work on a mystery. And we're going to talk about a servant, a suffering servant, who's found in the prophet Isaiah. And before we do that, so there's four servant songs in, in Isaiah. And we're going to look at each one of them and see kind of where they point, what they tell us. And, uh, and we might discover some important truths about salvation and where the, the future is headed for us as as people of faith. I think we'll cover some of those things. Absolutely. Who is the servant? Yeah, who is that is the that is the mystery. So is, there is a servant who is talked about in these four servant songs in Isaiah and we that's our question. Who is the servant? And then the question is once we know that what does that matter? Or why does that why does that matter and what does it mean for us? Right? So we're going to do that. Before we do, let's talk about Isaiah. We've had Isaiah, we covered Isaiah 11 um, in one of our previous podcasts. So you can go and listen to that. But what, let's talk about the whole book. What is, what is Isaiah about? 
Many books in the Old Testament are actually collections of writings with multiple authors merged onto one scroll. We see this very clearly in Psalms, in Proverbs. Well, the book of Isaiah, most scholars would say, is no exception. The book has three sections. Scholars call them 1st Isaiah, 2nd Isaiah, 3rd Isaiah, and it actually shares this plot line that runs through the whole book. So the structure works something like this. 1st Isaiah, chapters 1 through 39, contain the prophecies of Isaiah from the 8th century B.C., Isaiah warns that Israel will fall to Babylon. This section ends with God rescuing King Hezekiah from the Babylonians, yet even so, God warns the king that his descendants will soon fall to Babylon anyway. Hmm. So this first section, Isaiah is saying, hey, you're going to be wiped out. But And why? 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 Why are they going to be wiped? That's probably a huge yeah. question, right? Oh, definitely. Those covenant promises all throughout, there's a sense that if you walk with Yahweh, he is going to bring you into blessing. But if you walk away from Yahweh, you're going to wander yourself into curse mm-hmm. pretty quickly. And so, you know, if we want to look a little bit about what that looks like, it's called the exile or the Babylonian exile. Mm-hmm. The year you got to remember is 587. It's a really big year for the Jewish people, 587 BC, 587 years before Christ. Here's what happens. The Babylonian armies, they surround Jerusalem at night, torches in hand, they break down the gates, burn down the temple, and capture King Zedekiah, the last king of Israel, A to Z. You go down to Zedekiah, and here's what happens. His sons are slaughtered before his eyes. If you've got young kids around, maybe cover the ears here. The Babylonians gouge out his eyes, so his son's death is the last thing that he sees. Then they strip the survivors naked, chain them together, drag them off into Babylon, where for 70 years the Babylonians work them to death, torture them for amusement, and force them to worship pagan gods. Jeremiah, he tells the tale, chapter 31, he says, In the ninth year of of Zedekiah, king of Judah, Tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, he marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. When Zedekiah saw the soldiers, they left the city at night by way of the king's garden through the gate between those two walls, but the Babylonian army overtook Zedekiah. There, the king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. Then he put out Zedekiah's eyes and bound him with bronze shackles to take him to Babylon. Absolutely brutal. So this is what Isaiah is prophesying. He says, this is the judgment that will come. Hmm. And then it comes. we turn the page to chapter 40. The name of Isaiah drops out of the text. We fast forward 200 years. 587 has happened. Second Isaiah chapters 40 through 54. Isaiah's name is out of the text. An anonymous author takes his place. Israel has fallen just as Isaiah prophesied. Enslaved in Babylon, Israel cries out to God to rescue her. This author writes about King Cyrus in the present tense. Clearly someone living in the 6th century Babylon, experiencing the exile firsthand. But Isaiah promised not only that Israel would go into exile, but that God would rescue her from exile. Mm -hmm. So we turn the page to 3rd Isaiah. Chapters 55 through 66. They fast forward 50 more years. 
A third author finishes the story. God answers Israel's prayer, rescues her from Babylon, and still a future Messiah is coming who will rescue Israel once and for all. So the book of Isaiah is really three books written hundreds of years apart, completing the story Isaiah started. First, Israel will fall. Second, Israel has fallen but will be rescued. Third, Israel has been rescued but will be rescued once and for all. And that's a the, so the event of the exile is super important for us as we look at the the story of scripture, right? So we 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 have God delivering people from exit, you know, in the Exodus, yeah. right? And then we have this period of of judges and then a period of kings and that period of kings comes to an end in the exile. And so it's almost like a new time period for the people of God, right? Absolutely. If you want to plot line the Bible with a few words that start with E, okay. you could say you've got the Exodus, then you've got the exile, then you've got Emmanuel, that's God with us, Christmas, and then you've got eternity. Hmm. I like that. I've never heard that before. I'm always a fan of alliteration, though, so I'll take it. Exodus, exile, Emmanuel, eternity. We fit somewhere in there. Yeah. That's good. I suppose we just started all off with Eden. We'll round it out yeah, with a there nice you go. clean five. There you go. Eden. We could probably come up with more even. Could get it to seven. Seven would be good. It's a biblical number. So that's the story of Isaiah, is that the the people will fall, that they they will be in exile, but God will eventually bring this future Messiah to save them. So when we talk about these servant songs that we're about to read, we're in what scholars call second Isaiah. Yes. We are in exile. We are in Babylon as slaves. We're in Babylon and and second Isaiah starts with these words, comfort, comfort my people, says your God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. Comfort, comfort. So the hope here is kind of that there will be comfort and that there will be redemption and that what's lost will be found again, right? And so that's where we begin. And let's look at that first servant song, and that is going to be Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. It says this, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised heel he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his law... The islands will put their hope. Okay, so here we go. Here is my servant. What do we see? What do we hear in that passage that follows those words? Here is my servant. Here is my servant. Well, we have, first off, this differentiation. We have Yahweh, and we have the servant of Yahweh. Mm Mm-hmm. So whoever this servant is, he is a different person than the person speaking. 
we have this word servant, avad. And, you know, we think, well, what does this word mean? We're going to see it in all of these songs. I think back to my wife and I were trying to memorize the Ten Commandments last summer. Mm-hmm. So we'd go on walks and we'd practice. That word avadim, translating that, it's something like, and the Lord God said all these words, these words he said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the lands of Egypt, they're plural there, out of the house of slaves, avadim. Avad is our word servant here. If you're listening at home and you want to practice, say it like A-V-A-D, avad. Avadim, I am, that's your plural, slaves. So whatever the servant is, he's a servant in the same way as the Israelites enslaved to Pharaoh in Egypt were doing these public service projects, building pyramids and sphinxes with whips on their back when they tried to take a break. He's a slave. Hmm. So is that what we would expect from a deliverer, that they would be a servant? Oh, not at all. If you're looking for a deliverer, if you're looking for someone to rescue you from Babylon and exile, you don't say, oh, let me pull up one of the slaves yeah, and they're going to rescue. No, you're looking for a conquering king. So almost immediately, this is sort of surprising. Oh, definitely. Right? This uh, is not the deliverer You're looking for a deliverer. Here's my servant. Here's, uh, here, yeah. So what else do we hear in these verses? A word that I see more than once is justice. I see it at least three times as I just cruise over the passage. Um, So this servant is a bringer of justice. Let's talk about justice a little bit. What do we mean when we talk about the justice of God? Making the world right. So for those in exile, how would a bringer of justice bring them justice? Well, I think probably part of it would be restoring them to their land. Mm -hmm. Um, Their temple was burnt down. They were drug away. So bringing them back to where they belong, right? Um, and, And putting them back in this place of worship where they could be... Uh, at one with their with their God, right? Because the temple is a place where uh, God's kingdom meets the, the earthly kingdom. And so things are right when those two are in alignment. Um, so that would be justice. And it can't happen without that. There's this curious verse, verse 2. Mm-hmm. He will not cry out or shout or make his voice heard in the streets. So he is a slave who's not making a scene, and yet he's going to bring justice. Matthew's gospel quotes these verses, hmm. connecting it with this idea of Jesus withdrawing from the cities of Galilee and telling all of those that he heals, delivers, hey, don't tell anyone about me. Mm-hmm. Don't make my voice heard in the streets. Mm-hmm. Matthew pulls this servant imagery as he tells the story of Jesus. Well, that should perk our ears up a little bit. Who is this servant? We're not sure. It's not super clear yet, is it? 
But we have four servant songs. Yes, so let's move on. Let's go to the next one. And the next one that we're going to look at is Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 6. Which says this. Listen to me, you islands. Oh, islands is a word that we heard in the last song. Or song. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From birth, he has made mention of my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and to gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Okay, the mystery is maybe getting a little more clear Hmm. in this song, because we have a name. Verse 3, he said to me, you are my servant, Israel. Well, that's interesting. Isn't it? So who is this? Servant, well, Scripture tells us first and foremost that it is Israel. Israel. So what what does that mean? Well, Israel first is a person. We have Abraham, Mm -hmm. who has a son, Isaac, who has a son, Jacob, Mm -hmm. whom God renames Israel. And we did an episode about that. Yeah. It's called Jacob Wrestles. And so if you want to catch up on that story, you can go and re-listen to that podcast, Jacob Wrestles, it's called. It's part of our season two. I can't remember off the top of my head which episode it is, okay? So Jacob, okay, a person, Israel. And then Israel is Jacob's descendants. So Jacob has 12 sons. They become the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, one gets cut out and one has two sons and they get added in. And 12 sons, 12 tribes of Israel is how it all shakes out. And these 12 tribes are the 12 tribes of Israel, this nation that is now in exile in Babylon. Hmm. And they, they're given a purpose here, almost a twofold purpose, I would say. The first is to bring them back. Uh, in verse 5, it says to bring, the, the, the purpose is to bring Jacob back to himself and to gather Israel to himself. So to gather the the exiled back home, right? But then God says, that's too small of a thing. It's not just that that we're here to do. So this probably would be an expansion of what the vision was for the people of Israel at the time, right? They, They would think like, we are going to be brought back and we will continue our life where we were. But God says, that's too small. We're going to go bigger. There's more. And what's more is this, that God would make them a light for the Gentiles, that salvation would be brought 
to the ends of the earth. So there's this expanding idea here of who salvation is for and what it is. Absolutely. This word Gentiles that you might see in your Bible, sometimes you'll see the word nations. Same word, different translations will go a different way. You can interchange them one for one. So you have the nation of Israel, and you have all the other nations, the Gentiles. So the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the God also of the nations and of yes. the world. Yahweh is the God of the world, the maker of all things, seen and unseen. Okay, so we have a little bit more of a clue. And before we move on, yes, I love that you brought up verse 6 because Simeon, the in the New Testament, in Luke 2, brings up this exact verse. Luke 2, 32, he talks about Jesus hmm. and says that Jesus will be this light for the nations, this salvation unto the ends of the earth. And so we start asking these questions. So who is this servant who is like a slave who is like Israel? Let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. We will skip forward a chapter and we'll read um, Isaiah 50 verses 4 through 9. The Sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like the one being taught. The Sovereign Lord has opened my ears, and I have not been rebellious. I have not drawn back. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the Sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the Sovereign Lord who helps me. Who is he that will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. And I think we should probably include verse 10 as well. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let him who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Okay, what do we see there? These songs have taken a dark turn. Yeah. If this slave, this servant, is being tortured and killed. Yeah, what are some of the ways that that, that happens? Um, you know, beating, pulling a beard out of a cheek, mocking, spitting. These brutal things that happen. You know, I think... <laughs> What does it mean to serve God? Sometimes it's it's a, it's the way of suffering uh, because the world is often against what God is for. And certainly this servant sees that here in these verses. Do we have any clues to, to who this servant might be here? Well, Jesus in the Gospels, he alludes to this song as well. Mm-hmm. It's like the Gospels are just 
uh, you know, one of those pour-over cakes with the holes, and you just pour Isaiah into it. It's just permeating the whole text. And in Luke 9, 51, Jesus, he's ready to head to Jerusalem, mm-hmm. where he knows there are those who want to torture him and kill him like the fate of the suffering servant. Mm-hmm. And he says, therefore, I have set my face like a flint steadfastly as he turns and heads to Jerusalem. So who, I think one of the things that we see about this servant in this servant song is that um, in spite of the mocking, the spitting, the beating, the pulling the beard out, this servant is faithful. These these things, these deterrents, these worldly deterrents do not stop him, right? And so uh, I don't know that would a human be capable of staying the course in the midst of that kind of suffering. The servant says, I've set my face like flint. I know I will not be put to shame. There is this confidence, this unwavering faith in Yahweh. Interesting. Let's move on to the last servant song. This is going to be Isaiah 52, verse 13 through 53, 12. So a little bit longer section here. But you will not go, you will not leave in haste, or sorry, I... I started that in the wrong place. 13. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted, just as there are many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, his form marred beyond human likeness. So will he sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told they will see, and what they have not heard they will understand who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed he grew up before him like a tender shoot like a root out of dry ground he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him nothing in his appearance that we should desire him he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows familiar with suffering like one from whom men hide their faces He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had not done any violence. 
nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Certainly another turn here um, in terms of the message of who this servant is. And I think we could maybe build like a list of suspects as to who it might be. Who is this servant? Who would be on that list? Our short list of, of suspects before we dive into. So we've talked about Israel. Who else? Well, right off the bat, we skipped over this language that this servant is the arm of Yahweh. He is in some ways a person of Yahweh. So we could say, is this... Yahweh. Hmm. We could say, is this the nation of Israel? We could say, is this the person Israel? Mm -hmm. As in Jacob. Mm -hmm. We could say, is this a descendant of Israel? A person, a coming Messiah. So what, what changes now in this psalm? Or sorry, song. I keep wanting to say psalm. They're so close. Psalm, song. They are. We have this slave. Tortured, killed, and yet here vindicated. He's given this inheritance. And so we see, in a sense, a resurrection. Hmm. Yeah, and even resurrection in that line... Um, even though after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life. Wow. That's resurrection. Can't get clearer there. than that. No. And, and you know, so there's a, a couple other pieces I think that are interesting about this song, and, and that's this idea that comes up here that, that the suffering of this servant will bring something for the rest of the world, right? That by his suffering, he will do something for someone else. And it talks about bearing our sorrows, bearing our uh, transgressions, I think is the word used in the translation I'm using. He took up our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. Um, that out, It's this idea that out of the suffering of this servant, God will bring something to his people. And this is the language that sponge cake that is the Gospels is picking up over and over that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions, mm -hmm. crushed for our iniquities. By his wounds, we are healed. And yet, sitting on the banks of Babylon, slave by day, sleeping by the river, with slave drivers always in sight, reading these songs, is this reassuring? And who are we expecting? That's what I'm going to ask, 
is, is so if we were to make a profile, right? So we're the people uh, who are in exile. We've seen horrible atrocities. We're waiting for salvation. We're waiting for a savior. We're waiting for someone to come make this right, uh, righteously judge our oppressors and send us back, help us to rebuild our home and help us to prosper and worship and connect with God. If we're going to make a list of, of the attributes of who that might be, what would be on that list? Strength, might, a huge army, um, what else? Absolutely. They need to conquer Babylon, and they need to send God's people back into the promised land. That's the expectation. And as we see throughout the rest of the stories, we get into third Isaiah, we see there's this pagan king, Cyrus, that brings them back to the land that fills this sort of motif out, and yet he's not from Israel. He's not a son of Jacob. And so sitting on that riverbank, you know, you got the fire going, you know, it's a little after dusk, hard day work. And you're wondering when those 70 years are up, how is God going to do it? Mm-hmm. How is he going to bring us back? Who is this Messiah that he's going to raise up? And this word Messiah we keep throwing around, it literally mm-hmm. means oiled one, which is a little weird. Mm-hmm. But they had this idea that there would be someone who'd be anointed with the spirit of God, like oil on his head. Mm-hmm and by the Spirit of God would save God's people. So this word Messiah meant in practical terms for them, Savior. And they had some ideas. So they had this Messiah ben Joseph. They were like picking sons of Jacob. Is he going to be like Joseph? So Joseph, if you know the story, he gets beat up, thrown into a cistern, and sold off into slavery in Egypt. He is your suffering servant. Mm Mm-hmm. Is he going to be like Judah? Judah, the fourth son, but really he becomes like the firstborn. This is where the line of kings comes from. Mm-hmm. Is he going to be like Levi, who doesn't end up with land, so he's not counted as one of the tribes in that sense of Israel, but his line is the line of priests. They're the ones that mediate between God and the rest of the sons of Israel. So there's this really elevated role. And so they're all debating around the campfire. Are we going to have a Messiah Ben Joseph, a suffering servant? Mm -hmm. Yep, and Ben means son, lowercase. Not like your name, Ben, although that means son as well. Mm -hmm. Then you've got this Messiah Ben Judah, the conquering king. He's going to ride in, you know, coming on the clouds. He's going to clean house. Or is he going to be this Messiah Ben Levi, this priest? It's going to give us maybe some spiritual freedom, but... It's maybe not in this life, maybe not in this world. It looks a little different. They're basically asking, is the Messiah going to be a prophet, a priest, or a king? Now, is it likely or possible that it could be all three? Well, there were some that argued that. So there's one guy among the crowd, and his name is, let's see if I can, I don't have his name in front of me. It's uh, Rabbi Joshua Bar-Levi. And he says this. He says, There's the prophecy of Daniel. Behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven. And there's this other verse, Zechariah, it says, The poor are riding upon a donkey. And so, is he going to be coming on the clouds as his conquering king? Is he going to be riding a donkey into town like this poor suffering servant? And the rabbi says this. If Israel is worthy, he'll come with the clouds of heaven. 
if they're unworthy, he'll come poor and riding on a donkey. <laughs> wow. That's his both and. <laughs> yeah. Now, I think we can do one better. <laughs> because we're basically asking the question, is the Messiah going to be the Lion of Judah who conquers his enemies? Or is he going to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Yes. And you turn to the Gospels. And you have this Messiah who is prophet, priest, and king, Mm -hmm. who does exactly what the suffering servant does. He is pierced for our transgressions. He is crucified, died, and is buried. And what does he do? On the third day, he rises again. So who is it? Who is this suffering servant? The suffering servant is Jesus. Mystery solved. Are we ready to say that we've solved the mystery? Okay, so if Jesus is all of these things, if Jesus is the the king, if Jesus is the uh, priest, if Jesus is the prophet, what does that mean for us? Well, there's this man who actually coined the phrase servant songs. He's a 19th century, century German Lutheran theologian, and his name is... Dr. Doom. <laughs> I knew that was coming. His name is Dr. <laughs> Control Bernhard Doom. And what I just love that. That's <laughs> a great name. He's not the villain that Iron Man vanquished. He uh. is the 19th century German Lutheran theologian who made the servant songs his life's work. And here is what he said. He said that for the Jewish people awaiting the Messiah, these servant songs became the culmination of their entire story. Mm -hmm. They said, well, we as Israel, we have been bruised and beaten. We've been drugged into exile. And we have been... the suffering servant. And we're awaiting our vindication. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Doomy flips the script. He says, you're not the hero of the story. Why do you think I sent a pagan king to send you back? Why couldn't you do it on your own? Why haven't you come on the clouds into your inheritance? You are not the savior. You are the saved. I, Yahweh, am the Savior. The arm of Yahweh is coming. The rabbis, they began digging through this text in Daniel of the Son of Man coming on the clouds before the Ancient of Days, both called Yahweh. They they began to understand that Yahweh, the God we see all throughout the Old Testament, is more than one person. One God, yes, but more than one person. That's why the Lord can say to my Lord, sit at my right hand in the Psalms. That's why we have all of this interplay of let us make man in our image. All of these divine plurals throughout Scripture, all of this complexity of Yahweh talking with Yahweh. Mm-hmm. We have God, the Father, sending God the Son to be the suffering servant on behalf of his people to suffer, to die, 
to rise again, that by his wounds we might be healed, and in coming again to be the conquering king, to be both the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God. Who is this man? This is Yahweh. The suffering servant is God. God suffers for us. God dies for us. God rises to new life so we can rise to new life in him. When we're in exodus, when we're in exile, when we're at the bottom of the barrel, looking up, who do we see? We see the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the Lion of Judah coming on the clouds, the suffering servant who takes our place and who rises us up with him. It's so ironic that Dr. Doom shares that message of hope and life. Um, And it's also, you know, he flips the script is what you said. And it's almost as if God does the same thing, flips the script and takes what we expect and gives us what we need. Um, And people listening, you, you have an exodus in your life. You've departed from something. Uh, You have an exile. You are in the midst of something that, that doesn't feel like home, that isn't home. You know, you've lost someone you love. Uh, You've had a relationship that was really important, breakdown. You've had, uh, you've done something that has separated you from the people that you care about and know and love. You've, um, there are countless exiles in our lives. And and it's the reality of sin that you are displaced and I am displaced from our spiritual home and from where we belong. And so in the midst of that, I think the message of the suffering servant is paramount for us. And so what are we supposed to do with this? Well, I think first and foremost, what we need is we need to know that you have a servant who suffered for you. And then... I go back to, uh, once we know that, I think we're supposed to take up his cause so that other people would know that truth too. And I, I take us back to that second servant song where we started to realize that it's bigger than just me. It's bigger than just what's in front of me. But God calls us to be a light to the nations and to share that good news to the ends of the earth. I think we've solved a mystery. Maybe not the whole mystery of life, but at least we have a place to begin. The early church, reflecting on these scriptures, they called Isaiah a fifth gospel. Because in the pages of Isaiah, they saw the story of Jesus so clearly that they would consider putting it next to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as a picture of what it looked like when Yahweh was born, walked among us, taught among us, died on the cross for our sins, and rose again in victory. And so one of those authors, his name's Gregory of Nazianzus, he writes this. Not as good as Dr. Doom, but good. Gregory was uh, quite the poet. 
looking at the Messiah who is both the shepherd and the lamb. He writes, Christ prays, but he hears prayer. He weeps, but he causes tears to cease. He asks where Lazarus was laid, for he is a man, but he raises Lazarus, for he was God. He is sold, and very cheap, for it's only 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. But he redeems the world, and that at a great price, for his price was his own blood. As a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, but he is the shepherd of Israel. And now the whole world also, as a lamb, he is silent, yet he is the word and is proclaimed by the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He is bruised and wounded, but he heals every disease and every infirmity. He is lifted up and nailed to the tree, but by the tree of life, he restores us. Yes, he saves even the robber crucified with him. He dies, but he gives life. And by his death, he destroys death. He is buried, but rises again. He ascends to heaven, but shall come again to judge the living and the dead. Amen. Amen. The servant, Jesus. And Isaiah says, by his wounds, we are healed. We'll see you back next week here on the Deeply Rooted Podcast. Thank you, Stephen, for being with us. Folks, if you want to learn more about Hope Lutheran Church, you can visit, visit us on our website at fargohope.org. And uh, I'd invite you to like, to subscribe, to share this podcast with those people in your life who uh, need a, a word of, of hope for their days. And in the meantime, I invite you to stay deeply rooted.